and welcome to the Michigan Business Network. My name is Tony Conley, and this is Media Business. We have a special guest today, someone who knows the media, someone who knows business as well as anyone in the state of Michigan, and that is the director of the Detroit Regional Chamber. He's involved in so many things, and I haven't talked to him in, in many, many years, so it'll be good to catch up with Sandy Baru. Sandy, how are you? Tony, great to be with you, and Happy New Year. A happy New Year to you. The last time we talked was on Mackinac Island, and I think it was about five or six years ago. And you look younger than you did before and sound better, too. So congratulations to you. Yeah, I tell you, radio is my best format. <laughs> so, Sandy, tell us a little bit about your background and what the Detroit Regional Chamber does, because there's so many facets to what you do. Yeah, well, I've been in this role now for over a decade. I came here right about the time that the city of Detroit was getting ready to go into bankruptcy. But I came from Washington, D.C. I spent most of my career either on Capitol Hill or working for uh, both Presidents Bush, 41 and 43. So basically, you can say I'm a reform or retired or furloughed political hack. And as the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber, tell us at least some of the big items that the chamber is involved with. Yeah, so we basically do, you know, two major things. You know, one, on a day-to-day basis, we are the principal advocates for business interests across the 11-county Detroit region area. So that means everything from City Hall to Lansing to Washington, D.C., policy that impacts business, policy that impacts employment, policy that impacts people's ability to start a business, have a business thrive. That's our responsibility. Our second responsibility is really kind of on the longer term, and that's really ensuring that the Detroit region, frankly, the state of Michigan, is well prepared to be a robust economic center for our children. Um, So we have kind of a today responsibility and a tomorrow responsibility. Some of that is policy, some of that is programmatic, but all of it has to do with bringing business leaders together with our political partners, our media partners, our education partners, our philanthropic partners to do collective action to make our region a more prosperous region, both today and for our children in the future. All right, Sandy, I grew up in Mount Clements, Michigan, and I've been around it since the late 70s. So I know it well, and I know of the struggles that they have had, and I know of the uptick. I'm one of those people that gets down to Detroit as much as possible. You see the growth that's going on that started somewhat in the center uh, of that city, and it seems to be moving outward. We see the younger generations moving down there, educated folks getting great jobs, building homes down there. But one thing you mentioned that I thought was interesting is what you are doing is building for the future for the kids. And with the way education is down there, K through 12, it has always been a struggle. I know there have been improvements made, but we still got a long way to go. Where are we with that? Yeah, uh, Tony, you couldn't be more correct on that. Uh, Education, uh, both at the K through 12 level, but also kind of at our post-secondary level, not just in Detroit, but across the region and across the state, we do have a long way to go. We have a war for talent 
that is taking a place uh, across a global platform. And it's really clear that the companies that win are going to have access to the best talent. And the teams with the best talent are the ones that are going to thrive and prosper in this very competitive 21st century economy. And we have to really do tremendously better, both at the K through 12 level and at the post-secondary level. So in Detroit, uh, which is the focus of your question, Tony, the superintendent, Nikolai Vitti, has done some really, really excellent things. And you have to understand that Nikolai Vitti was starting not just in the basement, but in the basement of basements when it came to educational performance. He is now out of the basement. He's no longer in the basement of the basement. He's no longer in the basement. He's out of the basement, but he's still barely on the first floor. There's a tremendous amount of work to do. At the statewide level, we're involved in helping to lead uh, something called Launch Michigan, which is really bringing together the key education leaders, the key business leaders, and the key philanthropic leaders across the state. We've been doing this now for going on three years now, but we're starting to make some real progress on making some real fundamental reforms to Michigan's public K-12 through system. It's going to cost some money, but we think that we're really on the right track there as well, too. So there's no silver bullet. It's not just Detroit. It's across the state. We have a lot of work to do, and it's not going to be free, Tony. Sandy, I think I have perhaps a point of view that may differ from most. I'm a mixed race man, half black and half white. I was raised in a single parent home by my mom. We lived in an area that was somewhat rough, but you know, we made it and got through. And, and what I've noticed, we don't address enough. And I wonder if business can become involved in this as we seem to try to attack the challenges that we have. You're listening to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Sandy Baru, who's the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. You're listening to the Michigan Business Network. For something to grow, it takes time, like the equity in your home. That's why LaughQ offers a home equity line of credit, because frequent watering of your houseplants may be recommended. Now can we get a new roof? Not so much the rest of the house. Want the best rates for a home equity line of credit? Ask for LaughQ. Stop in today or go to LaughQ.com slash home equity. LaughQ, your credit union for life. And welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We've got a great conversation going on with Sandy Baru, who is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Sandy, with education, with teachers, with pouring more money into the system, with having better schools. But it seems like we need to get to the core of the problem, which is the parents. Not only getting the parents to understand how important education is and how important they need to be involved with their children's education, but really getting those younger parents to learn, to understand, and to embrace this. To me, that seems to be the real problem. What do you say? Yeah, I would agree with half of that in the sense, Tony, that, you know, obviously uh, parents of all types need greater skills and more tools, but it's not an or, it's definitely an and. We do need parents to have more engagement and more tools and skills, but I'll tell you what, I don't care if you're a family in Gross Point or a family uh, in Inkster, I don't know a family based on race or income that doesn't love their kids differently, right? You know, everyone loves their kids. Everyone wants their kids to be successful. 
people. But we have to also recognize that, you know, when you and I went to school, Tony, back when we were just inventing the wheel, uh, it was a very different <laughs> world back then. And we are asking our teachers and our schools to do far more than they did when we were going to school. So schools are a different place. We need to fund them differently. We need to support them differently. And both the teachers and the parents need different tools than they did when we were going to school. How does the media handle this in regards to, we see what they say about test scores and whatnot, but when it comes to not only talk growth, but the good, but the things that folks like you and our educators need, how do we in the media do with getting the word out about that? So I give it a really mixed score, Tony. On the plus side, the media does a very good job, uh, and we have very good local media here in Michigan. I mean, we really do. Uh, I'm constantly impressed by the quality of the journalism here locally uh, across Michigan. Uh, and what they do a really good job of is highlighting the challenge that our schools face, you know, both from a financial standpoint, from an educational standpoint, and highlighting how we're doing vis-a-vis -vis other states. What the media does not do a good job of, and I understand why, is that even our high-performing school districts, like the Northvilles and the Birminghams and the East Grand Rapids, gross points, if you will, they don't perform as well as their national competitors. And that's kind of like the dirty little secret in, in Michigan public education, that even our high-performing, wealthy school districts don't perform as well as their national peers. So what do we need to do to get the media's attention in regards to this? Because as you know, that can assist in getting things done. Yeah, you know, I tell you, education is a tough issue for folks to swallow. One, in low-performing districts, when you talk about, you know, a particular school uh, that may be challenged, you know, parents don't want to hear it. Uh, they don't want to hear that their school is not performing well because one, you know, they may have gone to that school themselves and they have fond memories of that school. Also, you know, when they look at their child vis-a-vis -vis other children in the neighborhood, they might be doing well. So there's a real issue there. But the same thing happens in upper income areas. When you tell people that, hey, you know, your affluent school is not doing as well as, you know, the best public schools elsewhere in the country, they don't want to hear that either. And you know, it's a tough pill to swallow. I wish I had more of a media expertise to understand how better to address the problem, but I understand why the problem exists. You're listening to the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We're talking with Sandy Baru, who's the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. When we come back, we're going to talk about the media and business and how they cover business in the Detroit area. You're listening to the Michigan Business Network. Sonair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sonair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sonair.com. And welcome back to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Conley. We've got great conversation going on with Sandy Baru, who is the president and CEO of the Detroit Regional Chamber. Sandy and I were talking about education and the media. Now we're going to dive into 
business and the media. From your perspective, Sandy, how's business doing in the Detroit region? Uh, really well. Now, and I say really well because overall, the numbers that we're seeing are good. Our companies are doing well, but it's not universal. There are you know, types of businesses that are still struggling uh, because of the pandemic. Uh, I will say that one of the big things that has happened that the companies that were challenged primarily through the supply chain issues are finding a way. Uh, some of the supply chain issues uh, in manufacturing are beginning to ease a little bit, uh, and they're finding ways to kind of work around them. And they're being able to renegotiate some of their pricing to be able to cover some of their increased costs. So that's good news. Small businesses, especially ones that rely on foot traffic in certain neighborhoods, they continue to be challenged. But overall, I would say the state of business in the Detroit region is surprisingly good, and we're very optimistic for a strong 2022. Sandy, when it comes to business and COVID, I'm just getting the sense this is going to have to be something we're going to learn how to live with, how to work with also. What do you think? Yeah, Tony, I, I think you're exactly right. You know, the chair of the Detroit Regional Chamber this year is Wright Laster, who happens to be the CEO of the Henry Ford Health System. And he uses a term of pandemic to endemic. And basically, you know, what that means is that an endemic is something that's kind of always with us and that we're always going to have to deal with it. And, you know, I think that COVID, at least for the next several years, is going to be kind of a flu on steroids type of situation. You know, we're not going to be able to, you know, continue to hide out in our basements. We're going to have to live our lives. We're going to have to, you know, go to work. We're going to have to go to school, but we're going to need a handful of things to ensure that we're able to do that safely. One is that, you know, we're going to have to continue to use some sort of mitigation uh, efforts. I mean, we might see, like they adopted in Asia years and years ago, more people wearing masks in public on a more regular basis. That might just become part of everyday life. We might see more barriers up, you know, these plexiglass barriers that we're, that we're seeing. But also, we're going to have to have therapeutics. We're going to have to have uh, better uh, rapid tests. And, you know, we're all just going to have to get used to a slightly new routine in order to live our lives you know, fuel our economy, fuel our education. You know, we can't let this thing, you know, stop us. We have to find a way to go forward, but that doesn't mean pretending it doesn't exist. How has the media done from your perspective in reporting on not only the challenges that business has, but the, what business is trying to do to deal with COVID and, and, and keeping folks working? Yeah, good. Again, as I said earlier, Tony, I'm really impressed with local journalism here in Michigan. I actually think it's better than what we see at the national level. At the national level, so much of it is so exceptionally polarized, you know, re either around COVID or around other political issues. You know, Michigan media basically handles things, I think, relatively well. So have they done a good job telling the challenges that businesses have had during COVID? Absolutely. Have they done a good job kind of communicating, you know, the supply chain challenges? and why that's leading to inflation. Absolutely. I think they've done a very good job of that. And what I particularly appreciate about local journalism here, uh, especially in the Detroit region, is telling the story about small businesses that have been uh, really impacted uh, by COVID, but also the story of small businesses that have found a way to do business in a different way that has allowed them to thrive during COVID. I love those stories, and, and I love that local media does such a good job highlighting them. Sandy, from your perspective, what happened with supply chain? Yeah, everything. Uh, absolutely everything. So first of all, you know, 
because, you know, this is a hundred year pandemic, right? And no one's been able to predict its trajectory, right? You know, no politician, no public health official, no one's been able to predict its trajectory. So we have had these major disruptions over time in just how people go to work, not just in the United States, but across the planet, which has really curtailed the ability for things to be made. But probably the biggest challenge that the supply chain has faced is the incredibly unpredictable demand curve for certain kinds of items due to COVID. I mean, who would have thunk that COVID would have driven the demand for cars, particularly electric cars and higher end SUVs, essentially off the charts in COVID. You would have thought that just the opposite would have happened. Nobody was prepared for that. When you look at things like these tests, right, these home tests, right, you know, these home tests were on the shelves all summer and people walked by them at the CVS and they were just sitting there. No one took them, you know, and now everybody wants one and everyone said, well, why can't I get a test? Well, it's because these demand curves have been so unpredictable. No one's been able to predict what's going to happen when. So you bring up a point that I'm curious about in talking about supply chain. We see the challenges that we have with computer chips and with other types of products. And we know a lot of those come from overseas, a lot come from China. Do you think business will get involved and go, you know what, we got a niche here. It may cost us a little bit more but we'll figure out a way how to produce more computer chips. We'll figure out a way how to start producing some of these products here in a cost-effective way. And in talking about those computer chips, we have that tech alley, if you will, that I've known about for a while. And with all the engineering, the universities, the students, the technology we have, I always thought, man, wouldn't that be cool if Detroit became a computer chip capital. Is that something that business is looking into from your perspective? Uh, some, uh, but I tell you what, computer chips, for the most part, are a commodity. Mm-hmm. And there isn't a lot of margin on chips. So if, and the investment that it takes to build a chip facility is enormous, and the energy it takes to produce uh, these chips is also enormous. So yes, we do need to bring more of our supply chain back to the United States, and that is happening. I think both the combination of COVID plus uh, kind of some, you know, the nationalistic, you know, fervor that we're seeing, you know, that Donald Trump really exemplified, you know, we are seeing more of the supply chain being brought back in. Is Michigan going to be a chip producing uh, place? You know, I wouldn't put a lot of economic development effort into chips. I'd put some, but it isn't a high enough margin area to really invest a lot in, unlike making cars, which is a really high margin topic. Sandy, what about petroleum and petroleum products? And I just want to get the business take on this. You know, more than a year ago, I was paying $225 a gallon for a gallon of gas, and now it's more like $340. And a lot of other gas and oil products have also increased. What happened? Yeah, again, you know, the unpredictable demand chain. If you compare gas prices today to two years ago, 2019, or before the pandemic, you know, gas prices have increased some, but not a lot. 
gas prices are really only really high compared to the peak of the pandemic when nobody was driving and the demand had fallen off a cliff. So just like any product, when people weren't stopping off at their Exxon station to buy gas anymore, the prices drop. Now people are hitting the road again and the supply hasn't caught up yet, you know, just like the silicon wafer of these chips. So that's what you're seeing there. In fact, I never compare prices to from 2021 to 2020. I always compare prices to 2019 before the pandemic. That's the important comparison point. We've been talking with Sandy Baru. He is the president and CEO of Detroit Regional Chamber. You're listening to Media Business. I'm Tony Conley, and this is the Michigan Business Network.